Everybody stay standing. Uh, well, no, sit down. Sorry, I was joking. Uh, K through fivers, love you guys. And teachers, love you guys. Uh, morning, everybody. I'm going to crack open my black jazzberry. It's about to get crazy in here. Uh, <laughs> we started a series uh, last week entitled Be Curious in Search of the Real Jesus. And uh, I want us to be just that. Uh, that's the purpose of it, is, is we hopefully are going to come to these different encounters and interactions that people had with Jesus curious, um, looking at these things with fresh eyes, because maybe some of these are things that you've heard before or read before or studied before, um, but you're not the same you uh, as the first time, uh, even though the, the truth in here is the same truth, it may hit you differently. Uh, but we're going to look at these different interactions and encounters because every time Jesus encounters or interacts with somebody, uh, they rarely leave the same. Uh, he meets them where they're at, but he rarely leaves people where they're at. And in experiencing him, he changes their lives. And so a big part of why we're doing this, uh, I said this last week, is, is that it's very easy, at least I find it true for me, and I find it true in a lot of conversations. I mean, it's very easy to have ideas about Jesus that are actually very incongruent with who he truly is. What he truly said, how he lived, how he engaged people. Um, it's very easy in today's world to have kind of a hijacked Jesus that really is shaped or fashioned for my own purposes in my own way. I even said that it's easy to even like or want to have ideas about Jesus that aren't true. I like thinking that Jesus thinks the way I think about things and likes the things that I like, and likes them in the way that I like. I don't want him getting in there and kind of messing with my system. I like that he kind of comes alongside me, right? And the scary thing is, is that if, and we should be concerned about this, is that I could, if I'm not careful, find myself worshiping a Jesus of my own imagination, and following a Jesus of my own making, rather than the Jesus that is revealed in Scripture, the true Jesus, um, and so we come back to these encounters really as kind of uh, and like a, getting a car aligned, getting realigned with, am I following? Am I worshiping? Am I walking with the real Jesus or just a Jesus of my own making? So I know that's serious, but it is serious. So we're going to read this passage here. Susie Nash is going to come read for us this morning. Everybody, this is Susie Nash. Yes. <laughs> what? I'm excited you're here. This here. woman has five children, and it lives a very full life, so it's amazing that she is here this morning, all right? Uh, all they're all in Kidtown. Here, come over here. Yes, they are all in Kidtown. So this is uh, John 1, 43, so starting there through 51. Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. Bethsaida? Bethsaida. (laughs) Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, 
Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, thanks, Susan. All right, so I asked us to kind of put these lenses on, or like my little click glasses here. I'm going to kind of put these on. Um, I know. Getting old. Uh, to kind of look each week at these encounters with these kind of two lenses on one, how is Jesus at work here? Like, what is he trying to reveal about himself to us? Because Jesus is very intentional. He doesn't waste time. Uh, he doesn't do things just kind of haphazardly. So what's he trying to reveal to us about himself? And then consequently, what does it say to us about us? Like, what does this say to us about the human condition, how we need to experience Jesus, Okay. Both of those things. So three areas that we'll kind of wade into through this passage. Um, they kind of fall under these headers. First one is come and see this invitation uh, from Philip to Nathaniel. You need to come and see Jesus. The second thing is, is what he finds, which is, is he finds himself seen by Jesus. So Philip says, come and see. Nathaniel ends up going and finding out he's seen. And then this Interesting the way that Jesus ends the encounter by saying, you're going to see greater things than me seeing you, okay? So come and see, seen by Jesus, seeing greater things. There's a lot of C's in there. All right. Wow, everybody got really quiet. Okay, I put joke in here to loosen people up. So come and see. Uh, this is the very beginning, like last week, of Jesus' earthly ministry. We looked at Peter's calling last week. This is, again, another passage where Jesus is calling disciples to follow him. It says there in the text that Jesus, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And the word there for decided, literally, it says, is the word purposed. And again, I know I just said Jesus is very intentional. This is not just kind of like, hey, what do you want to do today? I think we should go over to Galilee and check it out. It's like he was intentionally, he purposed to go to Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. So the first thing that he does, first part of his purpose of going to Galilee, obviously, it says here, is to find Philip. And he finds him, and he says to him, follow me. And what Philip does is the same thing that Andrew and Peter had done. Just like them, he follows. And in following, he goes and finds Nathaniel, right? It says Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one who Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he goes and finds Nathanael, who we have to assume these guys at least rolled together. They were kind of friends of some sort. John the Baptist was preaching in the area at the time, proclaiming, baptizing Jesus. The Messiah is coming. So Philip goes and finds his buddy Nathanael and says, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law, and the one whom the prophets wrote, which basically is an acknowledgement. Hey, we are students of the law. We are students of the prophets. We have some kind of conceptual understanding that there is a Messiah that is to come. And we've kind of, we're up on that. And this Jesus, this one of Nazareth, son of Joseph, he's the one. Now, it's funny to me that Jesus finds Philip. 
Philip goes and finds Nathaniel, and still Philip says, we have found. I mean, you ever, I don't know, you guys have a friend who loves to be the one to always break the news to everybody, you know, like, hey, guess what? The new restaurant in town. It's like, someone else told you about that, right? So still Philip here struggling. We, we're the one who found Jesus, but basically Philip's saying, it turns out this one that we have been looking for, this one in the prophets, this one in the law, this one, this guy comes from Nazareth. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's kind of the day of translation of Philip there. Isn't this crazy? He comes from Nazareth. And so Nathaniel expresses something here. He says, can anything good, Nazareth, sorry, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Now, we can kind of read that in a couple of different ways. Is that him expressing doubt maybe a little bit? But I would encourage us to think of it more as he's expressing surprise. Um, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth was a very, very small, like insignificant town. I grew up in a town, Upland, Indiana. It's got 2,000 people. It'd be like someone from Upland going to the Olympics, right? Okay, you guys, are you guys drinking from the well of the Olympics right now? Yes. I love the Olympics. I love the Winter Olympics. I'm not, they're kind of competing in my loves of like Summer or Winter Olympics. It depends. I think I'm more of a winter guy. But, you know, we don't know if like, you know, Bethsaida and Nazareth were like rivals in whatever sports they had in those days, like sheep racing or something. Like, can any, anything good come from Nazareth? But it's simply just saying that the Messiah coming from Nazareth is, is coming from one of the most unlikely places. It's like us watching these backstories. That's my favorite part of the Olympics. It's not, it's like, great, you jumped off that thing and you're nuts that you jumped off that thing. But you know, when they, they go on these like 20-minute odysseys to talk about it, and they get the little pictures of when the, she was a little girl and he was a little boy and like we never knew and he was just eating his cereal. And now he has a gold medal around his neck, you know? It's like that. Can anything good come from this, this small town of Nazareth? Like I, the, I don't know if you know the Jamaican bobsled sled team is back in the Olympics. How many of you were around when cool runnings happened? Yeah. So what, let's say it all together. Feel the rhythm. Feel the rhyme. Get on up. Get on up. It's bobsled time. Cool runnings. Yeah, I watched it again. And John Candy's there eating like a corn dog. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like that. Can anything Winter Olympics good come from Jamaica? Is basically what's being said here. And Philip says... Got to see it yourself. Come and see. I, I can't convince you of this. You have to come and see. Which in some ways for us, you know, really the practical outworkings of that for us is this. You can't follow Jesus or believe in him based on my experience of him. You have to have your own encounter with Jesus. You have to go see him for yourself. You have to meet him yourself. You know, in many ways, what, what the four people who are teaching our K through fifth graders are doing right now, like we all as parents, those of you who have kids back there, you want your kids to grow up to know Jesus. You don't want them to just grow up and have a faith that is your faith that they've kind of just taken on themselves. You want them to meet Jesus, right? So that's, that's exactly what Philip's doing here. He's saying, hey, don't take my word for it. Come meet Jesus yourself. And so for us, like our K through fifth grader teachers are doing, they're simply bringing our kids to Jesus and saying, we want you to encounter him, okay? Don't take our word for it. 
Let's go to the Word. Let's open up the Word, kids, and let's look and let's how do you encounter Jesus. So that's one way, because remember, they talk about the law and the prophets, Moses. They're basically saying, hey, we're familiar with the Word. Jesus is the one that the Word's about. So one of the ways that we bring people to Jesus, like Philip brought Nathaniel, we're taking people, take people to the Word. Don't take them to culture. Don't take them to what is culturally, you know, being seen or shown about Jesus, because that will very much confuse everybody. I know a lot of people who don't even want to be called a Christian anymore because, man, look at what Christianity is. Take them to the Word. Show them who Jesus is in Scripture, right? So that's one way you take people to Jesus. You bring them to come and see. But one of the other ways, and this is a little bit more kind of cutting for me, at least personally, it was, is, is that one of the ways that people see, come and see Jesus, yes, they see him in his word, but they come and see him in us. Because we are, Scripture says now, we are the temple of the living God with whom the Spirit dwells. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, because that's true, because you're the temple, glorify God with your body. Basically, you are to be the glory bearers of who Jesus is to the world around. John 13, how are people going to know that you belong to me? They are going to know that you belong to me, that you're in me because of how you love. The qualitative experience of being with you is, hey, you must know this Jesus guy. I mean, even Gandhi, you know, famous Hindu leader, teacher, says, I like your Christ, not your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. How do we come and see Jesus? Well, part of the way that God has decided that people would come and see Jesus after Jesus ascended into heaven is they're going to come and see you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we come, the invitation is to come and see from Philip to Nathaniel. Come see this one that the Word's all about. So we bring people to the Word, but we also, y'all, we bring people into our presence, which is, is bringing people hopefully into the presence of the Lord because you are the presence of God. You are the aroma of Christ is what Scripture says. What do they smell? So Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see. So they do it. They go and see. When Jesus saw Nathaniel, again, who saw who? Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching. He said of him, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So when Nathaniel goes to come and see Jesus, what does he experience? Well, he encounters a Jesus who sees him. He goes to come and see, and what he finds is, is you see me. Here is an Israelite in whom is no deceit. What a cryptic statement, right? Like, what in the world, Jesus? You've been reading my emails or like, what's going on? Well, the word for deceit is the word uh, that was used at the time for like fishing with bait, like putting on a bait, like a dead fish, in order to attract a real fish to catch a fish. So when he says there's, you know, here's an Israelite, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit, he's basically saying, here's a man who doesn't have a tricky heart, um, who has a heart of integrity, who isn't cunning, who isn't deceptive. But it's the same word that word deceit is the same word that was used to describe Jacob in Genesis. Because he was the trickster, right? Jacob was the one who tricked his brother Esau by impersonating him to his father Isaac, and he stole his birthright, and he stole his blessing. It's literally like 
about him saying, here's a true Israelite, because he, you know, these were Jews at the time, by calling him an Israelite would have been hearkening back to his historic understanding of who he is. He's saying, here's a true Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. Now remember, Jacob still was chosen by the Lord, the blessing, right? So Nathaniel, he pauses and he's like, wait a sec, what? What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is saying, first and foremost, this. I see the real you. I don't just see you. I see the real you, the you on the inside, your character, your motives, the good stuff, the bad stuff. I see it all. And Nathaniel, he doesn't, it's interesting, he doesn't like go like, hey, you know, he doesn't like do the humble brag thing like, oh, not me. He just literally goes, how do you know me? How do you know me? Jesus answers, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I saw you before Philip found you and said, hey, come and see. I saw you under the fig tree. Which, what Jesus is doing in this moment is, yes, he is displaying who he is, God. He's doing something miraculous. He's displaying a foreknowledge of Nathaniel, but I, w- I would encourage us to even think of it like this, not just a foreknowledge, like, hey, I knew where you were, but a mindfulness, a- an acute personal mindfulness of this man. I know you. Before Philip ever came looking for you, I knew you. Not generally, I knew you. Specifically, I knew you. You're the true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. You see it? You see how he flipped it? He doesn't say, I saw you under the fig tree and let me tell you more about you. He's saying, I saw the person you were before. I know you. Not just in a general way, in a specific way, like Ephesians 1 says, he chose us, you and me, in him before the creation of the world. I know you. Intimately. And Nathaniel, what does he do when he sees and understands this? He declares, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. What does he do? He basically says this, if if that's true, if you know me like that, you are God. And if you are God, then the only conclusion is that you are king. You, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He is experiencing something profound in this moment. He's experiencing that the God of the universe, he knows him intimately, completely, and he is coming for him. I'm not just here on some, just some general mission. I'm here for you, Nathaniel. And the effect of Nathaniel being seen like that is, is what? He sees Jesus clearly for who he is. You are God. You are king. Full stop. It's like at the end of Job, when Job, after all of his suffering, says what? My ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. I'm seeing you clearly. And so what did Job do? The same thing Nathaniel's doing. By saying, you're God and you're king. Job, he humbled himself. He repented. He lowered himself. He's like, whoa, whoa. He went to see and he found out that he was seen. We're actually going to pause the sermon right now, and we're going to do something a little bit different. Janie and the team are going to come up.
Because Scripture says something, uh, we're going to take just a few minutes to reflect and pray and consider. Scripture says that what I just said about Nathaniel is true about you. Like, do you know that you're seen by Jesus like this? That whatever you have going on today that you believe he's distant and disconnected from, that he isn't intimately and aware of, every aspect of every thought, of every feeling, of everything, he knows it. He knows you like that. And he's engaged. That's what David wrote about in Psalm 139. Janie's going to read this as they play some music, and we're going to use it to kind of meditate. David understood, Lord, this is how you see me. This is how you know me. So I'm going to ask us to do something. I want you, we're going to pray, or you're going to pray. I'll pray with you in my own way. How, how do you know me? That's what Nathaniel said. How do you know me? Would you say that to the Lord? Right now, go ahead, close your eyes and just say, how do you know me? And then would you hear this Psalm 139 as the response? This is how your Lord, your Jesus knows you. searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me saw me when I was formless. 
All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. So he goes to see, and he sees that he's seen like that, like David, uh, and that's true for you and for me. But Jesus ends this encounter after Nathaniel declares, basically, I, you're the Messiah. I believe in who you are. With this really interesting comment, he says, you believe because I told you... I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay. (laughs) What in the world is that about? So, First and foremost, Jesus reminds Nathaniel, even though he is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit, that your, your statement of who you say I am, you are the son of God, you are the king, is, is because of something I showed you, right? You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. So just remember, your salvation isn't based on your character, your good works, your ability to believe, You believe because I showed you something, not you showed me something. But I'm not done showing you great things. Like that was a great thing. Like if Jesus was the magician, the fig tree was like the first card trick, right? Jesus is about to show him, before it even happens, kind of the end, Um, the, 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 the prestige, right? Wasn't that the film? You will see greater things, basically, is what he's saying. You will see greater things than me seeing you under the fig tree. And he makes this reference. This is a reference to Jacob, the deceiver, and a dream that Jacob had in Genesis 28. And he makes this reference to this dream where Jacob dreams about this ladder that was connecting heaven and earth. Um, And Jacob had this dream after he had stolen and done all this deceitful stuff to his brother Esau and had gotten Isaac's blessing, and in Isaac's blessing, basically Isaac extends the blessing that was given to him, the blessing that was initially given to his grandfather Abraham. And in this dream, he sees the staircase connecting heaven and earth. I'll read a little bit of it here in a second. Angels ascending and descending on the staircase. And it's basically um, in this dream, it's kind of in a dream form, 
God confirming his covenant with Jacob and with his people that I'm going to fulfill every promise I've ever made to you. But the dream actually, and I think why Jesus is referencing it here, is is that like Jacob and even like Nathaniel, you have really no clue how far these promises go. That these aren't just about land for Israel. Uh, This is about God dwelling with his people. About me and you being face to face and in this kind of relationship. So this is from Genesis 28 from the dream. It says, there above it stood the Lord and he said, I'm the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Jacob was lying on the ground with his head on a stone. Didn't have Tempur-Pedic pillows at that point. Your descendants, yeah, I'm like, a stone? That's what you decided to like roll up and lay your head on, I guess. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south and all the peoples on earth, everyone, not just the Jewish nation, all the peoples on earth, not just Israel, will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over, with, or watch over you wherever you go. I'm with you. I'm gonna watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised to you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So what is Jesus bringing up? Why is he evoking this dream? Remember, Nathaniel, Philip, these guys were studies, studies of the, you know, students of the law and the prophets. Why would he bring this up? I think why he's bringing it up is he's saying to Nathaniel, um, what you just saw in me seeing you under the fig tree uh, was just the beginning. Because what you're about to experience and what you're experiencing in me coming, Son of God, Word made flesh and dwelling among us, is heaven coming down to earth? And if, if you followed what I just read and you followed what Jesus said, he says there, Heaven will open and the angels of God will ascend and descend on the Son of Man. What Jacob saw was a staircase. What Jacob saw was a ladder. What Jesus talks about the angels ascending and descending on was the Son of Man himself. You hear what he's saying there? He's saying, I am the ladder. I am the staircase. The bridge that is being built again between God and man because of sin, it's me. The connection has been made. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And because of me coming, seeing you and coming and finding you, you now will be able to experience heaven. You'll be able to experience the Father coming to you because a way, heaven has been opened. And what Jacob dreamed about and did not fully understand you're actually, Nathaniel, you're going to see and begin to comprehend. One Jewish scholar, I'll read you guys something. Uh, this is a Jewish historian. I thought this was really insightful and kind of mind-bending. It says, Jacob's stairway was most likely a broad stone staircase running up the steps side of one of the artificial mountains. They would build these artificial mountains in that day known as ziggurats that the people of Mesopotamia built. There was a famous ziggurat in the city of Ur 
from whom which Jacob's ancestors came. The gods were thought, you know, kind of when people are trying to figure out who God is, the gods were thought to live at the top of the cosmic mountain that touches heaven. So they build these mountains, and gods lived up on top of the mountains. So in order to worship them, the people would build a great mound onto which place that they would place a temple so that the gods could dwell there and the people could worship the gods by ascending the steps to the summit of the mountain. What is remarkable about Jacob's dream is that he sees God not as one would expect at the top of the stairway, but at the bottom. The most likely meaning of the words, this is from Genesis 28, I read, that could be translated, the Lord stood above, is actually more probably the Lord stood beside. That's another way to translate that. I know sometimes the Bible is confusing like that. This is the translation that coheres with what the Lord says to Jacob, I am with you, 28.15, which we read. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. Here's the point. Jacob does not have to make the arduous ascent of the staircase to meet with God at the top. Nor does God communicate with Jacob, having it mediated by angels who pass up and down the staircase, which is what angels symbolize, communication between heaven and earth. But in Jacob's dream, God has, as it were, bypassed them. He himself has come down the staircase and stands looking at Jacob, sleeping beside him. He's not remote in heaven, but down on earth with Jacob. Jacob has discovered what, or sorry, Jacob has discovered is not so much that God is in a particular place, but that God is where Jacob is. You hear what he's saying? I am the ladder. I am the way. I don't stand up here and you have to work your way up to me. I've come down to you. So why does that matter for us? Well, here's why it matters, because you and I sit today in a different moment of redemptive history than Nathaniel did and certainly than Jacob did. Because we have the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, all of the promises that come through that, the rest of Scripture, the New Testament. 1 Peter 1.12 says that the prophets and angels, think about this, y'all, Remember I said we love having like the inside information on things and getting to reveal things. Prophets and angels long to look into the salvation that you and I have. You've got something that unique that the prophets, David and Moses and, you know, Elijah, they long to look into what you and I have and angels long to look into it. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 that all the promises of God are yes in Christ. So what Christ has done And being that ladder is basically what he says to Nathaniel. Heaven will be open. Heaven is open for business for you and for me. It's open. Signs on, vacancy or, you know, whatever. Open for business. The business of heaven and the life of heaven came down to earth through Jesus but Jesus is not just simply the courier of that message. First Corinthians says now that don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? The temple isn't this thing we build up on this big pile of dirt. You're it. He's with you now. And the spirit dwells in your midst. So when Jacob wakes up from his dream and says, whoa, I had no idea. Surely the Lord is in this place. We can say that in a completely different way. 
wake up. Surely the Lord is in this place because you are the temple of the living God. Romans 8 says this, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Through your mortal bodies. That's right now, y'all. That means that Jesus didn't just build that staircase so that when you die, we can go to heaven someday. That's true, but that's not the whole truth. He's saying, I want to give life to your mortal bodies right now. The eternal life of God coming down through the Spirit into the presence. Into the present. Sorry. Just like the life of heaven came down to earth in Jesus, the life of heaven comes down into this earth through you and I now. That's why Jesus says, when I go to the Father, you will do greater things than thee. You're going to do greater things than even I. Isn't that a mind-blowing statement? We now are the ambassadors. We now are the emissaries of heaven. That fugitives and wanderers and confused and hurt people wander into and they experience, they come and see, this is who Jesus is. I don't know if you've ever gotten to be an actual ambassador for anything. I had a friend who was a Red Bull ambassador. It was an awesome gig. He was a high school kid. He now is like a vice president in Red Bull. But they targeted him as a high school senior to be a Red Bull ambassador, which was a killer gig if you were a high school kid. And he ended up getting the car with the can on the back of it, right? You guys seen the car? But I loved it. He was in my youth group, and he literally, he had coolers of Red Bull all the time. And it was like, how much Red Bull do we want? I was like, we do youth events. I'm like, bro, just give me as many. Just cases and cases. You know why? Because it, it, he wasn't the one providing the Red Bull. He was just simply like, I'm here as the ambassador, and they will give me as much as I can give away. So every soccer event, every tail, I mean, it's just like Red Bull, Red Bull. We had wings all year that year. It was wonderful. That's the picture. Don't you see? You have Jesus. You're the temple. You got wings. He'll just keep pouring out the life of heaven and bringing it down to earth through you, through me. So would you come and see Jesus? That's the invitation. If you don't know him, come and see him. Because when you see him, you're going to see that he sees you like David. You know me that intimately. You see it all and you still love me. You search me, you know my heart. The darkness is not dark to you. Go meditate on that psalm. And when you see Jesus seeing you like that, you'll want to be like Philip and going and finding Nathaniel's and saying, here's the Red Bull. I, I got something to share with you because it's too good and I got so much of it. I could just give, I'll just keep giving you more. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, that you come after us this, like this. You see us like this. Um, pray, Lord, that we would see that you are the fulfillment of that dream. Uh, Jesus, that you made the bridge uh, between heaven and earth and that that bridge has stayed open, that we have the first fruits of that in the Holy Spirit, Lord. Pray that we would taste that, Lord, that we would see that you are good, that you don't stand up there and say, climb higher so you can experience me, you come down. 
Uh, may we experience your presence like that this week, Lord. Um, and may we be those like Philip who go and find Nathaniel. Uh, come and see. Come and taste this Jesus who's that good. In your name, amen.